uh, church this morning, we have a very special guest speaker, a, a man that is well known around this place. Many of us know him. We love him. We still consider Gene and his wife, Kim, is very much a part of our family. And I emailed him earlier this week to ask, him, is, is there a way that we can introduce you or, or things that we can say on stage to honor you? And he said, yeah, just say, this is Gene. He used to work here. Um, <laughs> Which is very, very much an understatement because uh, Pastor Gene was actually the senior pastor of our church for over 26 years, uh, which is just phenomenal to see. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he now serves He now serves as the president of B.H. Carroll Theological Institute. Uh, and so, Brother Gene, man, we are excited to have you here this morning. Let's give it up for Dr. Gene Wilkes. Thank you, Brandon. And uh, it is good to be home. Um, I, uh, when Kim and I aren't somewhere else or I'm preaching, we're here, right? Down there, always. And uh, you have been home for so long, and I'm so proud of what Kevin and the team have done to carry on the legacy of legacy. And uh, echoing many of the things that we have held as core values in our church, uh, we continue to do that. So uh, I, it's an honor to be here with you. I'm humbled uh, for the opportunity to do this and uh, excited that uh, Kevin said, well, why don't you come and end the series of, in exi of the exile series? And by the way, here's three chapters in Revelation you can do. So <laughs> buckle up is all I can say. <laughs> no, I do remember... Uh, uh, Distinctly, in 1993, a group of us from Legacy, I'd met a pastor in Russia who served in Russia uh, at one of the doctoral ministry seminars that I had, had taught with a friend uh, while pastoring here, and uh, he had invited us over uh, to help with his church. So now, this is ancient history to some of you, but 1993, if you remember, the Berlin Wall fell in 89. And then the Soviet Union collapsed in 91. So this is only two years after things have kind of gotten crazy. And we, we uh, flew over there. I remember a couple of distinct things. One was that when we pulled up to the terminal, the soldiers, Soviet soldiers in full uniform and fully armed, came and stood around. Thank you, sir. Stood around the, uh, uh, the plane. I was like, oh, my gosh. And then... Uh, some who had been there before said, no, they, they have done, always done this. I thought, well, we're not running off anywhere, that's for sure. And then I, the thing I really remember is driving through the city, I thought, my first thought was, oh my, and we were afraid of these folks because they had spent all their money on military and uh, the city was really run down. We stayed in a, an apartment that was uh, concrete, basically, and the conduit for all the electricity was exposed and, uh, on, on, the, um, on the walls. And I thought, oh, man, this is, this is really tough until we got to the church. And there in the church, uh, it had been a church, and then over the 70 years of communism, it had become a museum. And they had just recovered it back as a church. There were no pews. People, And this was the winter. People would walk in the snow and the ice. And they came and they stood during the worship service. And it was like over two hours they would, they would stand. And I remember uh, a part of that too is that while we were sitting on, they set us up on the stage. Uh, we were the only ones with chairs sitting on the top. That one of the members of our, our church, 
of our team laid their Bible on the floor. And an elderly lady from the congregation came and picked up the Bible and handed it back to her. And then I remember at the end to, to when you came down front and if you made a decision, you knelt at the front and several came. And it was such a feeling of, of this is what God's church is about. Yet in the back of my heart, I was going, this is really different from home. Things here are just totally, and I really did feel like a stranger. And I never will forget when I came back that time, particularly, I don't know, I guess it was just all the things that I saw and experienced. And the team had taken an overnight trip to Moscow, and they had served down there. And when I walked through uh, customs, the border and custom agent said, Welcome home, Mr. Wilkes. I was like, yeah, that's what I want to hear. And ever since that time, if you've ever traveled, and we've been to Russia, uh, China, Vietnam, uh, Cuba, Laos, uh, Albania with some of you, that when you walk back onto this, this soil as a citizen and hear that, welcome home, Mr. Wilkes. What do you feel like? Like, yes, this is it. And this is what I want us to feel today and think about today as we talk about the end of the series of exile, it is about going home. So if you have your Bibles, we want to turn to Revelation 5, and I want to say this as we start, that the end of exile is going home. And all of us, until that day that we go home, we are in exile. And that's been the whole part of this series. Uh, we've studied some of the Old Testament, Ezra, Ezekiel, that God is, is calling us and he has his people. He allows the, the Philistines and others, the Babylonians, the Persians to judge them, take them away. And they live in exile and they long for that day. And when you remember from Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah, they get to come back and they get to restore the temple and they're coming home. And that's the spirit of our walking together even these, even these days is that we're going home. Now, until we get home, the scriptures have always told us that we live here as strangers and aliens or strangers and foreigners in this land. So let me just give you some pictures. Last week we were in, uh, Brandon was in First uh, Peter 4, but in First Peter 2, he tells us that we are now to live as foreigners and strangers in 1 Peter 2, 11. And I have this translation. It's, it is for, we are foreigners and exiles until that day that we come. In Ephesians 2, 19 and, and 20, which I'll uh, come back to here in a minute, in this passage, he, tells, he describes us then also is that we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Isn't it great after a, a, a long trip to know that we've come home and that we are part of the household? And he tells us, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as chief cornerstone, in him the whole building, matter of fact, uh, is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple to God. So he says, as long as we're here in exile, we're not home yet. 
We have a relationship with Christ. We have the hope of home, but we're not there yet. And until then, we find ourselves feeling as uh, foreigners and, and strangers. Look at Romans 8. Uh, Y'all sang about this a little earlier. And Paul says, and I want to bring the whole creation in because heaven also involves the good creation that God had. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as the pains of childhood right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Folks, all of us know that the world in which we live now is not God's ideal for us. It's not God's ideal for anybody. And so as we head home, as we look toward home, and we live in exile, we know that this is not the end of what uh, God has promised us. He has promised to be present with us, but this is not what he has promised so look at the next thing I want us to know, that as we go home, we need someone with authority to purchase our way home. Um, agree, disagree, I don't know any of the ins and outs of that, but we as a nation just uh, freed up, five, I think, $6 billion so that uh, five of our citizens can come home. In other words, that was made based on a payment that, that was made to those who held them hostage so that they could come home and be with us. When you and I plan to go home, you and I don't go to home, the home of heaven on our own. Someone has to have the authority and someone has to be able to pay the price so that we can make it to home. And here's the passage I want you to look at, this Revelation 5 that you just sang about earlier Look at five, and we'll read the first uh, five verses. Then I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. Now, here in the story of Revelation, this is the beginning of the unfolding of judgment and God setting all things right uh, with himself and with his people. And so this scroll is the beginning of that, with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy, do we just sing this, to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And what did John do? He said, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and, or even look inside. Then one of the elders said, don't weep, stop weeping. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center before the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And then look at, go over one page to page nine, or down a little further. And they sang a new song. Ready for the new song? You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal because you were slain with your blood, and with your blood you what? Purchase for God members of every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. You and I, in order to make it home, 
have to have someone who has the authority and the ability to purchase our way home. And that is exactly what God's word has told us. God in Christ Jesus has purchased for us the ability to go to, to be home. And one of the passages I really love that reminds me, this is the image I keep in my mind. And it's uh, in Colossians 1, chapter 13, and it says, For he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and carried us into the kingdom of his Son, whom he loved. And then it, the next verse says, In whom we have redemption, or have been purchased, or been forgiven for our sins. Isn't that an awesome picture? Just as God freed the people in exile in the Old Testament, and they were able to come into the Jerusalem to rebuild the, the temple, you and I have now been purchased. Our passage has been purchased for us to go home. And in that, we live with hope. And in that, we are certain. Now notice this. I want to remind you of this, that Home is a new heaven and a new earth where God is with us. And so flip over to chapter 21. Um, I want to make this clear today, and that is this, that God has not given up on his creation. In other words, if, if you and I think that we go, we go to heaven and it's all a different kind of, it will be different in many ways, but It'd be totally unrecognizable. I'll be unrecognizable. Remember what Scripture is about to tell us. He saw a new heaven and a new earth, here in verse 1 of 21. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy uh, city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Now, we will, as Christ returns, be met with him in the air. But then, notice all the language in, in Revelation is about God, the new heaven and new earth, and the new city coming down. In other words, earth will be restored to the good creation. God's not going to say, ah, I messed up on that, I'm going to do something totally different. No, he comes with and he restores the creation as it was in the garden. And he re restores the heavens as he was, as it was. And so when you and I take our last breath here and we wake up on the other side, we will be in a restored new earth. And he goes on to say that God has prepared for it a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. That is the church. We'll come back to that and your part in it. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying. For why? Those things of the old creation, of the old order, have passed away. He who was sitting on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down. So here's what I want you to know about this, and that is, is that home is a new heaven and a new earth where God is with us. And 1 Corinthians, if you go read 1 Corinthians 13, you and I will have a resurrected body. Remember when Christ came, uh, was raised from the dead, he came in a tangible form. He was not a ghost. Matter of fact, one of the early heresies of the church was 
that uh, Jesus was just an, an illusion uh, he, because they had this idea that evil, the body was evil, the spirit was good, therefore they had a problem with the incarnation anyway. But after the resurrection, there's no way he could be physical. But what did the, the gospel writers tell us? He sat down and ate with them. He sat down there. And matter of fact, remember, uh, he told Peter to come. I mean, John, I'm sorry, who? Thomas. <laughs> I knew. I'll get all 12 here in a minute. <laughs> So Thomas, come and feel, and he touched his body. My point is, you will not be floating spirit somewhere, somehow, in a, in a nebulous some, something. He says in 1 Corinthians 18 that he will give us a resurrected body. There will be a new earth, a new creation. I don't know what parts will be kept and what parts will be done away with. I think all things of of uh, natural creation will be restored. But ye, you who have trusted Christ, he says that when we go to that side, you and I will have a tangible resurrected body in which we will see others and he will be with us. And this is what I want us to pause on just for a minute. And that is this phrase that, that it says in... in uh, in verse 3, that God's dwelling place is now among his people. Let me connect the whole exile thing for you. Too many times we have a passage of scripture, we do really good job, Kevin does, and the other uh, pastors do a great job of taking this passage and working on this one passage. Let me, let's step back and do a 30,000 uh, foot view of how it looks when we get to heaven. So I'll put a, a, a slide up there, and you can take a picture because we're not going to turn to all these passages. But I want you to, to see how all that we have been talking about from Genesis to Revelation is how God is with us. Let's start in the garden. Genesis chapter 3. Remember it says that God is walking with them in the garden, and that's when uh, they realize, oh no, we've done uh, something. And remember, he... Everything that he created, he saw it, and it was good. It was us that messed up creation. Heard somebody this week on the radio say, you know, I can't trust in God because he's been so mean just because they ate some fruit, you know. And uh, Well, that, that's not God's fault. That's your fault, you know. And that's true for us. I mean, the, the creation was good. It was ideal. God walked in the garden with his people. And so God has been with us from the beginning. Yet, we turned our back. And then, what does God do? He comes to Abraham, establishes the covenant. And then, let me look at, look at this in, in Exodus 25. This is when they're out in the wilderness. Remember, they went to the promised land. And uh, there's... It was everything he said, flowing with milk and honey, but there were giants, and 10 of the 12 of the committee came back and said, no, we can't do this. Remember, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that said we could do this because of their disobedience. Remember, they wandered for 40 years so that that generation of those who did not trust God would die off, and it wasn't then until the next generation rose that he let them in, but it was during that time God did not abandon them. The tabernacle, if you'll look this up someday, he said, I will, it's a tent, and it was a tent that could be torn down and gone with, carried with them, so that God said, so I will be with my people. Now look at this in, uh, in chapter 3 of Revelation 
21 that we just read. Look, God's dwelling place, that's the word for tabernacle, is now among his people, and he will tabernacle with them. See, what God wanted to do in the wilderness is what God will do in heaven for you and me. And then, remember, uh, they, they got a king. They, uh, David conquered Jerusalem in the temple in 2 Samuel 7. He said, I want to build a house for the Lord so that you can be present with me. And, he said, and God said, no, you're not going to build a physical house, but through you I am going to build the house that, from which the eternal king will come. But in 1 Kings 7, that uh, Solomon, his son, built the temple. And why was the temple there? To be a visible presence of God with his people. But look over in chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 22. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. In heaven, there will no, be no tabernacle and there will be no temple. Those are reminders that God is with us on our exile journey home. You getting it? Look at this. Then his son, Jesus, is God with us. What, what does it say? And you shall have a son and his name shall be called. And that means God with us. And remember in Matthew 28, 20, it's when Jesus said, and lo, I will be with you even to the end of this age. And, but in John 1, verse uh, 14, it says, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Are you ready? It's the same word for tabernacle. Jesus was God's tabernacled presence among us. Why? Because God has always wanted to be with us. And God has never abandoned us. Now let me chase a rabbit real quick. You didn't see it, but we're across here. How did God reveal himself to us? The word of God, the spoken word, and by the way, God speaks, things happen. Uh, it is the spoken word of God in Christ Jesus who came in flesh, who dwells among us, in which he says that if you want to know what the Father, who the Father is, what the Father's like, what the Father, you listen to me. So, the word, spoken word, in flesh, in a person, in relationship, is how God changes hearts and how you and I relate. And the reason I'm mentioning this is to remind you, social media has taken away spoken word and physical relationship to change our hearts. Friends... I mean, how many friends do you have on Facebook or whatever? If the young people and Brandon remind them, these 2,000 or so you have that are called friends are not your friends. Uh, sociologists say that we may have three or four friends, true friends in our life, those who, who, who will come by our side no matter what, or we will go to their side no matter what. And when Jesus said, I'm not going to no longer call you a servant, your servants, but I'm going to call you friends, he meant it in this way. So let me remind you that when we look at God being with us, it is the pattern for how we are with each other. The spoken word 
in a real relationship in bodies, speaking with one another is what friendship is about and what changes hearts. Evangelism is not, I'll be talking about this a couple of weeks, it's not necessarily done over social media. Evangelism is done in relationship. God has come with you in relationship with Christ Jesus. And so when we talk about his son, Jesus, coming, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. God with us. And then look at the Holy Spirit. John 14 says, he says, I will ask my father and he will send another, just like me, who will be with you. Get it? God sent his Holy Spirit. When his son ascended, he sent, gave you and me the mission to make disciples of all ethnic groups. He said, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will be with you. And I love the passage, uh, this, the verse around that area that says, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will be with you. God has always wanted to be with his people. And, and then in the church, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, uh, Chad read that earlier, but let me re remind you, it says, continue from where he was reading. Uh, he, uh, it says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens built on the foundation Christ is the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to begin what? A holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling with, Christ, with God in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. You, the church, are God with us. You are God with this community. You get that? This is not just a habit for music you like or a preacher that you want to hear. God has said, I have placed my church in this old order, in this exile experience, so that you are God with us. And the people and the relationships that you have, in the, the true-hearted uh, life events that come every day with you, you, the church, God says, I will establish the church so that I will be with my people. And so, finally, ultimately, home is that new heaven and the new earth. And we just mentioned God's dwelling place is now among his people. He did not see a temple because God Almighty and the Lamb are his temple. So if you leave with nothing else today, the reason we long for home is that we will be in the presence of God. But until that time, he has not abandoned you. And he has provided in history from day one ways in which you, he can be with you. And so God has always come to us to be with us, even in these days of exile. Look, sadly, the next point there is sadly many choose to remain in exile from God. Go back to Revelation 21. So we've just seen that God is going to kind of satisfy this presence, presence uh, desire that we have for him. He said to me in verse 6, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murders, the, 
murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Right above this chapter is the end of that process that started with the opening of the scrolls. And it's the final judgment of Satan who is, who is finally put in his proper place uh, away from us and God. And then uh, right above 21 is what we know as the great white throne judgment in which you and I individually will stand before the Lord and he will ask you two things. The first thing he'll ask you is, what did you do with my son? Did you trust him? Did you just let him be a, a good luck charm? Uh, was he a religious habit that you sang and talked about? Or did you trust him to be my son so that I could be with you and I could purchase the, your, your presence with me in the life that he gave? Was he truly the son of God? And then the second question he's going to ask you is, what would you do with my stuff? Didn't expect that one, did you? Jesus makes it very clear that uh, he blesses each of, us, each of us, and he tells us uh, when he walked the earth as God with us, that he, that he will hold us accountable for the things that we do with the things that he has given us. All of us here have been given a gift by God through salaries, through uh, friendships, through opportunities. All of those come from God. And he wants us, you are a steward of all those good things. How are you investing those things in the mission of God? Through legacy, through other ministries, through individual need that you know about? So all of this is leading to that the fact that there is judgment and you and I, every one of us must come to a place and say, am I going home for God has prepared for me? Do I trust that his son is the authority and the purchased price for my going home? Or am I going to just keep going on my own, thinking I do enough good stuff, and when I get there, I'll say, okay, this, this outbalances the other. There's nothing that you and I can do to earn the presence of God, though we all long to be at home with Him, true? And He has made it possible through Jesus Christ. And so today, I invite you, if you have not trusted Christ, this is your day to say yes to Him. And that the sense, the true sense that we live in exile from the things that we long for and what God has promised are coming, that you can live with the hope, the certain hope that we will be with Christ Jesus. So this is the last thing I want to remind you of, and that is until Christ's return, we live with the hope for home and the wedding feast for Christ. I love C.S. Lewis's phrase. He says, we live with the wild hope of going home. See, hope in Christian faith, hope is not wishful thinking. Boy, I hope, hope heaven's there. I hope it's going to... No, hope is a certain hope. It is... And why is it certain? It's what uh, Chad said to us. It's one of my favorite verses when we were getting ready to worship. He said, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God does not write in the sky or show up on your phone, I love you. He demonstrated that love for you in Christ Jesus. And so as we live, we have this wild and certain hope 
that we will be with Christ. And then there's a picture that, I, that Jesus talked about while he was here, and then images that show up in, at the end in God's Word. Look at John, uh, I mean, Revelation chapter 19. Just verse 9, The angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He added, these are the true words of God. And then over uh, in 21, verse 9, he just says, Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That's you. You're the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And one of the things that we will experience on the other side in the new heaven and the new earth, once this exile is over and we are home, he invites us to the wedding feast. And I want to do something a little different uh, today to remind you, to help you taste the wedding feast. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up at this time. And I'm going to ask those who are going to serve the Lord's Supper to go ahead and take your place in the back. As you know, when we, when we do the Lord's Supper, we take the Lord's Supper the passage of the scripture, uh, it happened on the night just before of, uh, Jesus' crucifixion. It was the night he was arrested. He's with his closest followers, and they are, they are uh, following the ancient practice of, of the Passover meal, which, remember, is always a reminder that God is with his people. Even to this day, the Seder meal leaves an empty chair for Elijah to come. And, and there are so many signs of the Messiah in the Passover meal that remind us that God is with us and God is longing for us to trust the gift that he's given us in Christ Jesus. But he says, and we'll do this in a minute together, um, he tells us to remember what he's done for us. But here's what I want us to do today. That in a moment when we take the elements, and we'll, we'll take both of the elements when they come and hold them, we'll take them eat them together, that along with remembering, I want us to taste the hope of the wedding feast. So this time, when we take this meal that unifies us in the things of God and says, you're my brother, you're my sister, we are on this journey together, we're going home, and God has prepared this place for us, that not only do we remember the sacrificial suffering love of Christ demonstrated on the cross that purchased our ability and gave us the authority to go home, but we will look forward to that day when we, as the wedding hosts uh, and those who have been invited to the wedding feast, sit at the table with the bride, us, and with the groom, Christ, and we celebrate the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to ask the servers to come, take uh, the bread and take uh, the juice and hold it, and we will then take it together. Take a moment to thank the Lord that God is with us. That God knows us. He knows we have five senses. He knows that we remember best those things we do 
internally and externally. And so he's provided something we can taste to help us remember, but also to look forward. This meal gives us hope that our way home has been purchased, that we have passports. We are authorized to enter the new heaven and the new earth. But there will also be that day when you and I sit at the table as invited guests to the marriage feast of Christ and his bride, the church. And we will know the joy we have longed for each step of the way in exile. The scriptures tell us that for I received from the Lord, but I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this, and remember what I have done for you. Lord, thank you for this reminder of your broken body on the cross. And that it is through your sacrifice that we have a home, an eternal home, which we long for, that we know with certain hope that we will be with you. We take this remembering with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the bread. It says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, one of the cups of blessing, and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. Remember what I have done for you. Lord, thank you. Your word tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. We don't understand that. We're, we're so far away from the farm, we don't, under, <laughs> we don't know anything about spilt blood, but you have shown us throughout history that you require a sacrifice to make us right with you and righteous in your sight. And we look back at the tabernacle and we look back at the temple and the ways in which you instructed your people to make sacrifice for their sins, to put the sins on a scapegoat and send it out into the wilderness never to be seen again. And then the day came when you said, I'm going to send my son to be that sacrifice. Lord, in that moment, you allowed evil to prevail for a moment through the shedding of the blood of what your word tells us is the Lamb of God. And so, Father, in the shedding of his blood, once for all, there's no need for another sacrifice, you tell us. But the shedding of his blood has made us your adopted children. We are family. You are with us. Heaven is our home now. We are a kingdom of priests 
and ambassadors. You've rescued us from the dominion of darkness. <laughs> You've brought us <laughs> even now into the kingdom of your son whom you loved and in whom we have the redemption of sins. So Father, as we take this cup, we remember, we thank you, and we look forward to the wedding feast in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take the cup. I don't know if you've wondered, as loved ones have gone before you in heaven, you know they're in heaven because they trusted the Lord. I wonder if when I breathe my last breath here and I wake up in heaven, if not the first words I hear from my Savior are, but welcome home. Welcome home.